0: Chapter 14 of Grimm, The Story of a Pike. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Corey Barker. Grimm, The Story of a Pike by Svend Fluren. Translated by J. Muir. Chapter 14, The Angler from Town. The lake had changed since the old angler's death its former peace and poetry were gone the big swimming-birds had multiplied tremendously and dashed about restlessly every day swallowing the fish by means of constantly improving implements one of the latest of these was a ten-horse-power motor-boat manned by a little sinewy man thin and elastic and with a superabundance of energy he was a journalist by profession and editor of a paper the hurry and unrest of a new age burned in him Whether he wrote or refreshed himself with sport, he did it with the same strength and enthusiasm. Grimm's first captor had been an old-style votary of the rod and line. He loved to cast anchor in some quiet spot, light his pipe, and sit watching his lines. The journalist from town was of the very opposite temperament, constantly rushing about and hauling in and making fresh casts elsewhere. He had taken a house for the summer by the lake. And among the red currant bushes in the garden he had set up his little aquarium, which contained a couple of crayfish, a few perch, and a young pike. Every morning he dug up worms for his aquarium fish and fed them carefully. If neither pike nor perch touched the worms, and the crayfish did not take them either when they sank to the bottom, he tranquilly devoted himself to his work all day. But if the reverse happened, then the leading article would be short, and the editor was occupied elsewhere. One day, when he was sitting in his office in town, the telephone rang. His wife was at the other end of the wire and told him that the pike was feeding like mad. He thrills at the news. His paper had long had news about Grimm, the mysterious monster. The expedition is all prepared. His tackle is in order. He has only been waiting for the signal from the aquarium. A few hours later the enthusiastic little man, after a forced bicycle ride under the scorching sun of a suffocating July day, finds himself among fragrant iris and bog-myrtle. Accompanied by a local peat-digger, who, from fear of the monster, has armed himself with a gun, he turns off by one of the paths. The wind is blowing through the local jungle, and rustling its myriads of leaves with a sound that, to the editor's ears, resembles the continual crumpling of a huge newspaper. The stiff, bluish-green rushes, with their black joints, bend caressingly about him and the strong spicy scent of wild mint, mingled with a sharp acrid vapor from the bog, ascends to his nostrils. For a moment he stands among the rushes, drawing deep breaths as he listens in rapture to the deafening music of nature. The larks are caroling above his head, and the wild ducks rise with a great deal of splashing and fuss. Now a snipe comes sailing past, and sinks in a long concave curve. A sunbeam finds its way into the jungle, and showers a cascade of shifting, dancing patches of light over him. He perspires and pants, and wipes his forehead. He blows his nose after the manner of primitive man. He has once more become the kind of being that the Almighty called Man when He placed him on the earth. At an opening in the rushing margin where an old fern-clad ridge runs out into the water, he gets his rod ready. And now let Grim beware. Here comes a fisherman with shrewdness and intelligence. His clothes are the color of the heron's feathers, his rod painted sky blue, and his line is gray-green like the long stalks of the water plants. He creeps along the mossy, boggy bank, taking care to avoid all disturbance of the water. The pike is timid and easily put to flight, watchful and agile. If he only breaks a reed, If he only lets a snail shell drop into the water, it will perceive him. He finds out places where he thinks the fish is lying, and expectantly drops his bait beyond the edge of the reeds on the point of land. The peep cutter follows him at some distance. He has strict orders on no account to utter a syllable, and to tread with extreme caution and care. He has his gun already, for he is thinking with misgiving of all the stories he has heard about the fabulous serpent. He recollects that Sidzi, old Andrews' girl, has seen it. She was watering the cows when it shot up out of the deep water with a splash, and shook itself like a dog. She had distinctly heard the jingling of the scales in its mane, and old a wheelwright too. Such a head, he had said, as big as a calf's, and the skin round the corners of its mouth all in great thick folds. As to its eyes, he had said they were yellow like those of a hare. He must remember to tell that to the newspaper man. At that moment he hears a warning whistle, the signal to stop and remain where he is, so as not to spoil possible chances by a sudden appearance. An electric shock has darted through the sportsman, and for a moment he stands as if petrified in keen suspense. He has felt a bite, and with lowered rod he slowly and carefully lets out plenty of line. The pike has taken the bait, or so he firmly believes, but he waits minute after minute, and the line never moves. Alas, the hook is caught in something, his best and strongest hook, selected from among hundreds for this very expedition. In vain he employs every artifice, he cannot free it. He will have to give up his fishing and abandon the line. What an embarrassing story to have to tell. People have such nasty tongues, and the peat digger over there. No, that would be too much. Besides, this suffocating heat has long tempted them to have a bath out here, so he promptly strips and goes in. He is swimming along the edge of the reeds where there is a little open water, when all at once he feels his left leg seized. It is as though a pair of garden shears has suddenly cut into it. Involuntarily he begins to shout and kick, but the next moment he is dragged out and down towards deep water. He feels the teeth of the monster seeking deeper and deeper into his leg and is on the point of losing his senses as he cries aloud for help. The peak cutter hurries up with all possible speed, just in time to catch the outline of a long black shadow working underwater. At haphazard, he fires off both charges. At the same time, the editor shrieks still more horribly and raises himself in the water. A cold, sharp edge as of a knife is drawn along his body as Grimm, frightened by the shots, disappears beneath him. Other peak cutters come up, and together they pull the unfortunate editor ashore. The blood is spouting from his leg in several places, but one of the men ties his trouser strap round it. Someone telephones for a doctor, a carriage is fetched, and the editor is then driven to his home. The wound was a serious one. The doctor had to wash and bandage it. On the outer side of the calf the deep marks of Grimm's upper teeth were visible, in two rows at a distance of more than a hand's breadth from one another, wound after wound going deep into the flesh. It was clearly the bite from the jaws of some great animal. The oracle's prophecy that the editor would get a bite had in truth been fulfilled. This occurrence put fresh life into the story circulating in the district about the escaped crocodile or the serpent or the dragon that always frequented black bogs. The monster must be removed. For a long time, cattle and horses had not been safe when they came to the watering places, and now it attacked people when bathing. What sort of an animal was it? People demanded that the local board should provide them with an ocular demonstration. Several of the holes were empty, but they were the wrong ones. Through others, nets were drawn with a team of horses at each end. Grim was almost caught two or three times, and only saved herself by burrowing into the mud and letting the net pass over her. Then they set to work to drain the whole bog. They started the old windmills from the peak-cutting time, whirled all the screws about, and pumped the water from one large pool into another. Grim was imprisoned, and at last lay buried in slush. Had they only gone on for another day they would have discovered her, but fortunately for her the wind dropped, and when it seemed to be all over with her the high dam which kept in the water of the neighbouring pool broke, and all their labour was wasted. After this the enthusiasm and interest cooled. Who said it was a crocodile? Had any one seen it? Was it not more likely to have been an otter? For the local board did not believe in serpents or in dragons. End of chapter 14. Recording by Corey Barker.